0: Welcome to the Barfly Podcast Season 2. My name is Jeff Burkhart, Barfly columnist for the Marin IJ, and author of the book 20 Years Behind Bars, and its newly released sequel, 20 Years Behind Bars, Volume 2, Parole Denied. Today, my co-host is Kevin Blum, Community Director for the online review site Yelp. Welcome, Kevin.
1: So don't worry about tomorrow, take it for today, forget about the chat, we'll get
0: today with uh, Shah Barini, the managing partner of the Boca restaurant group, which includes uh, the two Boca pizzerias in, uh, in, in Marin County and uh, the former Boca Tavern. So welcome, Shah. Thanks for coming.
2: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, guys.
0: As we all know, we're in the, in the midst of a pandemic and uh, things are changing. So one of the things that uh, I found interesting about your take on it is you've decided to take this time to rebrand one of your concepts.
2: Yeah, that is correct. Boca Tavern. You know, we were in the process of partnering with my old good friend, Chris Fernandez of Poggio and many other great restaurants He's a terrific three-star chef. So we decided we were working on doing something much more uh, farm-to-table, more of a to-go aspects of it, you know, such as uh, family meals, uh, grab and goes in smaller portions, individual portions, and take care of it at home and reheat it at home. So that's what we were working on. And then this pandemic happened and it actually gave us, unfortunately for all the other restaurants and all of us, it's a disaster, but it gave us an opportunity to take more time to allocate to reconceptualizing what we're trying to
0: do. You know, there's been some talk in the in the restaurant business uh, about fine dining as a, a in general is 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 something that's uh, a lot of people are referring to as a dinosaur, the white tablecloth type of restaurant, that sort of thing. I'm not so sure if I 100% agree with that, but there definitely is a trend towards more of that kind of a blue barn sort of grab and go, or you look at even at the grocery stores where they're doing more of a more takeout business than than before, and that's before this pandemic.
2: We're really in an entertainment business. People go out, not just to eat. We all know that. They go just to hang out from a social perspective, whether they're celebrating or they're having a business meeting or they're really, you know, someone's uh, passing. So it's it's a social event for everyone. So that being said, I don't think fine dining is going to go out of style. It's going to continue being there, but it's going to evolve and it's going to be more Approachable for the guests, rather than these four hundred dollars per person dinners, that that just doesn't make sense anymore.
0: I, I agree with that, and I also think you know uh, there's also a a lot more people interested in the provenance of their food, where it comes from, who's making it, and all that kind of thing. So there's a big uptick. I mean, look at Whole Foods for for goodness sake, right?
2: There were the trendsetters, and this is the new normal, and people just want to know where is my food coming from? Uh, What's the nutrition aspects of it? Is it organic? Is it pesticides? Is it free range? Is it local? GMO, is it local? I mean, local is really, really micro marketing is so important right now. We want to work with our local vendors. Yes, there's a challenge of, of pricing. You know, if you really want to look at great items and great quality, you really don't look at the pricing at that point. You look at the product itself, the integrity of the product, and then you offer that at a price that would correspond to that. Either going to say, look, I really want this lifestyle, and I gravitate to that, I'm willing to pay for it. Or they're going to say, no, I'd just rather go to a burger joint and eat a greasy burger. The playing field has changed so much, guys. I see it every day. Today I was listening to all the restaurants meeting with the president, and it was just evident that, that, you know, listening to Thomas Keller that, The question came that, you know, he made a story of of the lady that in New Hampshire that he buys butter from. And he never asked her how much the butter is because he's so, so, so important to him to have the product to be incredible of the highest integrity and value and quality. It's the same thing for all of us. Now I look at it and I tell my chefs, we're looking at it like upside down anymore. We used to look at restaurants and we say, okay, this is our money. This is what we need to spend. And now I look at it Guys, let's look at our ingredients. Let's be ingredient-driven first and see what we come up with and then hone in into what it's going to cost because it's really about the product and how we use it and how we assemble it and how we bring this incredible raw beef poultry salmon, beautiful vegetables, into a beautiful flavors that we can offer to the guests.
1: But at the same time, don't you have to make a little bit of a compromise given the current situation with ingredients?
2: Not everything's available all year round. You know, your early tomato's not available year round. Strawberries not available year round. You know, I was in Italy three months ago, and it was really, really strange to even see some simple soup as, as minestrone. It's not the identical minestrone recipe that we see here. So I asked the chef, you know, it was off season. It wasn't summer. He says, look, we put things that's available to us. So it may not be cannellini beans. It may not be zucchini. It may be a different bean, a different ingredient like sweet potatoes or whatever they put. So I think the United States, America is really moving towards that movement of let's eat what's local. Let's eat what's fresh and available now.
0: And certainly in, in a place like California, especially where we live, people have gotten spoiled. The idea that you can get, you know, uh, I mean, I always love the, the people who want fresh squeezed orange juice in the middle of winter. And it's like, you know, oranges aren't available in the middle of winter. So your fresh squeezed orange juice in the middle of winter is not going to be very good. But they get conditioned to the fact that they can get oranges all year round and that's what they want. But I think there are some changes where people are, uh, the more educated they become about their food, the more they realize exactly what you're saying, that, you know, avocados are available year round, but twice a year they they're exceptional.
2: Exactly. And we really want to capitalize on that exceptional. When you're eating it, you really taste the the, the freshness of the ingredients and it needs to come through. It needs to shine. Through. So that's the direction we're taking Boca Tavern to, to be that that restaurant that you can really come in and taste the seasonality of all ingredients.
0: When do you anticipate this actually opening?
2: I think it's going to be more like, you know, we just looked at everything now. I think we're looking at more of towards the end of July so we can take our time and really look at every aspect of it, you know, the bar, the cocktails. What do we want that to be? And that, you know, if we fall in in, in July, what's available? I sincerely believe ordering to go and delivering is is a massive part of our business that's growing exponentially and, and it's just going to continue growing. You see ghost kitchens popping up. They're under existing brands. Uh, That way they can actually operate seamlessly, right? Because the brand recognition is there. A lot of them went out of business because nobody knew what's an XYZ ghost kitchen. Because they they never went there to say, hey, you know, I I love this restaurant, XYZ, and then I can order to go and I didn't care where it came from because I believed in that brand. But for us, it will be easier for many restaurants that are doing it Honestly, I think we're focusing very much on on food that's beautifully done, beautifully packaged. It has uh, uh, recipes on it. It has how to how to reheat it, all that available.
1: That sounds like a solid model moving forward, given the current situation. But it's like remember with, uh, all the slack, uh, the flack that uh, online delivery food services were taking. You know, like the HelloFresh and Freshly's and all that stuff. It sounds like the restaurants are kind of. Taking a a note from that and saying, like, well, we can do that and we're more localized.
2: Exactly. And maybe they can do it better
0: because one thing a lot of those places didn't have, and I think that's kind of what I hear Sean saying, is uh, if you have an actual chef overseeing the operation instead of who knows, it, it adds a little more cachet to it. You know, I mean, think about if you could get Thomas Keller's food to go, you just might do that as opposed to going down to, you know, uh, wherever, right? Mm-hmm. I
2: agree. And also, we have a relationship with farmers, with local vendors, where we get our cheese and Napa, the curd fresh, our tomato guys. I mean, they pull in with their trucks and they deliver this stuff to us. You know, those big boxes, they don't do that. They just go to big suppliers, God knows how long it's been sitting on the shelf. There is a difference in quality when when a restaurant starts delivering these things to the guests.
0: Well, just in general, I mean, yeah, I generally think of takeout food from a restaurant as better than going to the grocery store and grabbing something from their deli case. That doesn't. I mean, some places do it better, but generally, I agree with that that idea.
2: So that that's really people are more and more asking about that. They're saying, okay, it's great to go to a grocery store and get a few items, but the food doesn't have culinary expertise behind it. So it doesn't taste as good. It's not done as well. And the products are not necessarily organic or from next door neighbors or bought from people locally. You know, they're just mostly from back of a truck and they just put it together. You know, that's how it's going to be. They're just way too big to really dedicate themselves to this revolution of farm to table.
0: Oh, well, and also they, they, they have to hire someone they don't already have. That's kind of an advantage. You know, it's just like a bartender. I mean, you can open a bar with all the best intentions, but if you don't have the guy to do the the job, it's not going to really matter. You can't just plug in anybody back there. I mean, you know, sometimes that works and, but quite often it doesn't. It's a, and it's even more so I think with a, with chefs that, you know, I mean, if you have a, a chef who's earned accolades, and done some stuff, that that gives you a little heads up on somebody else, I think.
2: Exactly, the product's gonna be just amazing. It's not just run-of-the-mill products that you see, you know, quinoa run-of-the-mill, it's just done beautifully with incredible ingredients. I think that is our competitive advantage. That's every restaurant's competitive advantage. Every restaurant should really think about what they're offering on their menu and also offer that to go Because a lot of people just don't have the time to go out to eat sometimes. But they can have that same experience at home with your food. And why not? You know, so you can capitalize on that segment of the market that just doesn't want to go out, doesn't want to tip, doesn't want to have that extra drink. And they can get that same food really much, much less expensive with the same quality and integrity.
1: Well, speaking of to-go, Shaw, I'm curious, uh, what's your relationship, uh, what has it been like, and what is it currently like now with the delivery services like Grubhub and DoorDash and and the like? Has that been working out well for you during this
2: time? They are inherently extremely expensive. Some of them, they're just like 130% on top line. Really end up losing money. You don't make any money with that whatsoever. I mean, they're coming down on our percentages to 15%. Do they help? Yeah, of course. Any any other third party that could get the food to the guests is fantastic. But it's the question of cost, right? How much is it going to cost the restaurateurs to pay these guys to take their food? And how well do they deliver it? That's another question nobody asks. Mm-hmm. Do they really deliver this food with integrity? Is it going to get smashed around in their box? And when it gets to your house, it looks terrible? You know, nobody really wonders about that. They said let's just get the food there. And some food items just don't travel either. If you sell pasta or a risotto, it's going to be like gum when it gets to you after an hour. We're dealing with many different facets of it. But are they helpful? Yes. Are they expensive? Yes.
0: In a situation like this, where you, you start to observe different things and you start to realize, again, if you have control over the delivery from start to finish, you're probably, you know, that's that's something that some people would want. I don't often order through those other companies. You know, I, I usually pick up food to go myself. And and I'm not sure quite why, why I do that. But I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that sometimes I still like to, you know, I like to go down to the Indian restaurant and get some Indian food and get a beer while I'm waiting and make that part of the experience.
2: You just finished my thought. This is why we're doing what we're doing because you can wait at the bar, grab a beer, watch a game, or be with a friend. And if you order to go, your to go is ready. If you order family meal, your family meal is ready and it's hot in your hand. We'll help you take it to your car and your home. We really want to capitalize at that end of it rather than just using the third party.
1: Is that what you're envisioning for the bar, Shaw? like with regards to like while people are waiting for their food to go, they're, they're having a, a, a pop or something at the bar?
2: Not just at the bar. They could be sitting in front of the fireplace on the patio okay. and they have a cocktail or two and relax. Some of the food is ready. We don't bring it to them if they want us to take it to their car. We'll just walk it to their car. You know what I mean? It needs to be really service driven, very accommodating to our guests. So go over and beyond of Your food is ready. Here's your bag.
1: Well that's a good interesting point shop because like I was thinking uh, Jeff and I have done this podcast for a while and among the major challenges for a lot of restaurant owners has been the service aspect you know finding good right. folks to you know to serve and I'm wondering now with the pandemic and all that has that uh, shifted at all or do you think that you have a bigger pool to choose from now for folks who are looking for work and in need of work and finding good servers cuz If you're going to be service-related, you're going to need good servers.
2: Yeah, you know, that's a fantastic question. Look, I was just listening to the president and the the forum with all the restaurants today. And one out of four people who filed for unemployment were restaurant workers. 11 million people industry-wide. So this has been broken apart. So, yes, it's terrible. But also, it gives some of us an opportunity to have a better selection of team members to bring on board. Well, before, we didn't have that opportunity. So, yes, it's very sad to see this happening. But on the upside of it is it opened up a lot of opportunity for restaurants to have the selected team members that they want to bring on board. So that, that that's a plus. That's a plus for restaurants
0: you know, a lot of people are bemoaning the the state of the, of the industry and all these things. And these numbers are negative and, and, you know, it's, it's hard to, to maintain some positivity, but that's what I admire about what you're doing here is you've used this, you know, I mean, you're not going to have to deal with, how do you deal with the the face mask, glove things? Because by the by the end of July, things are probably going to change significantly. If you look at Italy for, as a model, for an example, right, they're a couple, three weeks ahead of us and they seem to be, you know, heading down the, the path of, of getting things back in order. But the thing is, whether that looks like what it looked like before exactly is probably not going to happen. And the restaurants that are adaptable are probably going to be the ones that survive.
2: They have to evolve. You have to really do whatever it takes to offer the guests different ways of service, of delivering food, of of preparing food, uh, of giving them batched cocktails. That they miss. We need to think outside the box and ask ourselves. You know, this is not the same old, and it may not turn back to be the same old. These things are things that we need to really, really adapt. To. We really need to adapt to these changes. And I'm doing my best, and I know many of my friends are trying to do their best. I know Chris, my chef partner, is a big, big uh, advocate of this. So we're working super hard. I'm actually working on the pizzerias as well to create family meals, curbside deliveries. And actually maybe change the POS system. I think technology plays a big part in this right now for us. And products that travel, we can't offer you a whole menu. It just doesn't make sense because some items just don't travel. That's another thing restaurants are really looking at. And, you know, I know I take food to go and just to see, you know, an hour later, what does it look like? 30 minutes later, what does it look like? Is the packaging the right packaging. Does it hold the food well? Does it heat the food well? Does it melt when it's in the microwave? Those are really important stuff that we got to look at. So we're going back to drawing board and we're thinking all these things through, all these steps, thinking like a consumer.
0: And maybe, you know, doing things better. Well, there's always been, you know, we can go back to doing the same thing, but if there's a better way to do it, maybe that's the way we should be doing it.
2: Exactly. And that we should be doing it, period. And that, this is forcing every one of us to go back and sit and really revisit every aspect of our business and also our bar program is very important to us right now.
1: How do you envision the bar program working,
2: Uh, I, Moving forward within the next six months to a year, this is what I envision our restaurants should do and I envision most restaurants should think about. Do not offer that your massive menu because you just don't know how busy you're going to be, how comfortable the guest is going to be coming in to your bars and to your restaurants. So you need to look at production. You need to look at do I need to have 42 items on the menu now? Do I need to have menu items that takes me a long time to prepare? Uh, let's look at all our stars on our menus that's highly in demand. Let's just focus on those. Same goes with our bar program. Do we really need 12 cocktails? You know, especially now that you can't even have anybody standing at the bar alone, you know what I mean? Which is crazy, right? So, those things we all thinking about and saying, look, maybe I can have start with just four great cocktails and then Decrease all these offerings of so many liquors. Jeff, you know, who really comes and asks for certain stuff that you and I carry in our bars that it sits there for God knows, for years? Oh,
0: and it's, it's, it's expensive,
2: right? I'm, I'm a firm believer now. Let's put up less, but make it excellent.
1: So like simplify it, simplify it and make it great, right? Don't be everything to everybody, make four or five solid cocktails. But my question to you for that is because I love that idea. And Jeff and I were talking about it prior to this uh, this call is, are you going to charge the same amount though? Because like I, I've seen some restaurants who are ch- charging anywhere from $10 to $15 for a cocktail that's served in, you know... Um, Tupperware, which is, you know, it still has all the ingredients, but it's not the same presentation.
2: If it's in a Tupperware, I give value to that. For example, at Cielito in Danville, we have batch pictures of, of, of margaritas. We charge for four glasses of margarita, but we have five glasses in that picture. Now, we also give value to the guests in these hard times. I think we all need to, to realize one thing. Cash has depleted. You know, United States... We have lost over $5 trillion in market cap. Worldwide, we've lost $20 trillion in market cap. So what does that mean for little guys, for people who are working, they're out of work? So we need to be creative and offer them value. I have combination menus that you could add a salad, an entree. And a pitcher of margarita and I give you 20% off of
0: all of it. So it is a little different. I mean, your pricing structure is going to be different. It's a, you're going to be a little more added value. It's not going to be the, the traditional, you know, uh, because again, you know, the bar programs are, are well known for for sustaining restaurants because of the profit margins.
2: What I'm talking about, Jeff, is to-go program, to batch cocktails for to-go. For in-house, it's a completely ball, different ballgame. I, I reduced my base wine by the glass at $12 to $10. I... Don't allow it to go over $14. So I'm not going to offer $16, $18, $20 glasses of wine. I think it's insulting in these times to the guests that really don't have the excess cash, disposable cash, that to spend like that. So we need to really look at the environment we're in and offer products and, and price points that could benefit all that. So you can't serve, I don't think, I can serve an $18 glass of wine or people would buy an $18 glass of wine. So I want to be able to make the restaurant an everyday dining experience for everyone where everyone can come in and feel they're getting value for what they have. That really is at the forefront of what we're trying to do. We don't like discounting. We like to offer value. So when you get up and you said, that was a delicious glass of wine for $10. When people can say that and get up and say that, pasta or that entree was fantastic and when they look at the bottom of the check and they, they didn't break the bank that's when you won this game and you won people's loyalty forever so value is really what we're looking at discounting is not and again
0: when is your target date to open and what's the name of the restaurant
2: i don't have a name yet i know i told you before the name has to really represent the food the style of food and who we are as a culture of a, of a restaurant. And we haven't we haven't yet. I'd like to have a contest on, on Facebook and see people come up with great names and dedicate it to them and give them a, a $500 gift card to come and enjoy the restaurant.
1: It's a great idea.
2: I really like to do that. So I think that's my next step. And let's, let's set the guests aside because at the end of the day, we're a neighborhood restaurant and these folks are going to be here day in, day out. I want them to have a feel of having a part in it. worry about tomorrow. Take it for today.
0: Please join us next time when we welcome David Landis, the cake gourmet, to talk pandemics, restaurants, and Pride Month. My name is Jeff Burkhart. Thanks for
1: listening. Have a drink only.